stay at work, return to work. These podcasts are the inspirational stories of individuals with spinal cord injury who have participated in the resource facilitation program at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and successfully returned to work, whether in a previous position or a new one. In sharing these stories, we aim to keep hope alive and remind those in similar situations that every day brings with it new possibilities. This study, which is funded by a Craig H. Nielsen grant to Kessler Foundation, includes the participation of the New Jersey Division of Vocational Rehabilitation Services and United Spinal Association. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation on February 12, 2018 at Kessler Foundation 120 Eagle Rock Ave, East Hanover, New Jersey. In our second episode, Mary Lee West, Project Coordinator for the Return to Work Early Intervention Program at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, met with Craig Brode, a practicing attorney and partner at the international New York City-based law firm Clary Gietlob Steen and Hamilton. Mr. Brode spent the last 38 years practicing law with little interruption. That was until January of 2017 when he was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, a disorder in which the body's immune system attacks part of the peripheral nervous system. Mr. Brode first began noticing symptoms of GBS when he returned from traveling abroad, where he and others experienced an intestinal infection. Everyone recovered. Initially, Mr. Brode felt unilateral pain down one leg and believed it was sciatica. The symptoms soon progressed to include extreme weakness, tingling sensations, and numbness in both legs. Unable to walk, he called 911. Mr. Brode was taken to Overlook Hospital in Summit, New Jersey, and there he was diagnosed. Mr. Brode's symptoms increased intensely over the next four weeks. He experienced complete paralysis and lost the ability to speak, eat, drink, and breathe independently. He was brought to Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in February 2017, determined to attend his oldest son's graduation in May that academic year. This is Mr. Brode's story. Today, we are very fortunate to have Mr. Craig Broad with us. Mr. Broad is someone I met about a year ago. And when I met Mr. Broad, um, looked quite different at that time. <laughs> quite, quite different. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But right now, I'd like to talk about what Mr. Broad's doing now. And that's his life as he's lived it for many years as an attorney in a very prestigious law firm in New York City for 30 plus years, right? Yes. Uh, hi, it's great to be here as well. Um, so I have been um, a practicing lawyer since 1980 when I graduated from law school. And I've been, uh, I've had one job. I've been at Clear Gottliebstein and Hamilton, international law firm. I've been resident in New York. Uh, I'm a partner there in the capital markets, corporate governance, corporate area, and uh, I've been doing that for, as I said, now 38 years, and um, with a little bit of an interruption about a year ago. Absolutely. In fact, I would say all of those things you just mentioned, and they're wonderful, they were not on your mind when we first met. No. Um, uh, no, about a year ago, so uh, we're, we're now in... February of 2018. It's a little more than a year ago in January of 2017 when um, I came down with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, was uh, it was January 12th, 
when the first symptoms came on the onset uh, and spent a little over a month in intensive care uh, and then was transferred to Kessler when we met on February 23 of 2017. These dates uh, are indelible That's right. in my mind. Absolutely permanent. Any idea, now with, as we refer to it clinically, we just refer to it as GBS. Mm-hmm. What did you know about GBS before your experience? Well, it was on? interesting. Um, about a year or more before this all happened, maybe two years, um, we were traveling as a family down to the Caribbean for a wedding, and um, I happened to run across um, some articles. I keep health, keep up on health matters, although not as well as I probably should have on, in this area, and I happened to see some articles that were talking about uh, the Zika virus, and um, our kids are now adult or about to graduate soon next year from college. So it wasn't, it wasn't a question of focusing on Zika for childbearing years. But I, I ran across some articles which said that there was a link between Zika and GBS. And I remember thinking it was some type of palsy or some type of some kind of paralysis, but I didn't really linked terribly much to it other than I knew it was something to avoid. So we were a little more proactive in mosquito protection when we went down to the Caribbean. And ironically, of course, I got more mosquito bites than anybody else, even though I was probably more focused on it. Uh, But that's all I really knew. And I didn't really know a lot about GBS because I didn't go into details. Uh, I knew it's something to avoid, something to take protection uh, vis-a-vis Zika, but that it was, it was actually pretty remote, so we didn't focus on it tremendously, but that was about all I knew. Right, and that's just uh, one link. There are right. so many others that are still um, in question about what it could possibly be. So even though you had some base knowledge, when you first had some symptoms, I imagine GBS wasn't the first thing to pop into your mind. How was it that you noticed, okay, this is whatever you're experiencing, this isn't something I've experienced before. I need to have someone look at this. I need to reach out to a, a physician. Well, I, it's, it, these moments in time are really fixed. Um, uh, we had traveled abroad in um, late December 2016, the very beginning of January 2017. Uh, while we were away, uh, all of us um, suffered an intestinal infection probably a food poisoning of some nature in my entire family. And uh, we recovered from that, and we came back, uh, fortunately, came back uh, really symptom-free. And then on the 12th of January, I was at work, and I was experiencing severe pain along principally my left side, my left leg, up to my hip area. It was pretty much unilateral. And so it was presenting, I called my, my uh, primary care physician. Uh, to him, it sounded like it might be sciatica because it was unilateral. It was not parallel. And it was pain. It wasn't tingling. It wasn't weakness. It wasn't inability to move. But the pain progressively, 
I remember I was in the office and one of my partners said to me, you look terrible. And I said, I'm in terrible pain. And um, it progressed. And I remember the next morning, after pretty much of a sleepless night, I just went directly in to see my primary care physician without yeah, without an appointment. And he's a very good relationship with him. And the the pain had got only gotten pronounced and but really with just some slight indications all seemed to be on one side but no as I've learned since no telltale signs of tingling numbness weak weakness I um, I remember coming in first thing in the morning and the my, my doctor's office wasn't open and I remember walking over getting a cup of coffee muffin or whatever walking back and just an intense pain and as it's not uncommon gbs as i learned presents in very different ways and so that wasn't really it wasn't at all clear and i don't think there's any real reason why anyone would have suspected that per se but then uh i did not go to work that day the pain was too intense and then it was that night and the overnight when I got out of bed, I fell to the floor. I had no feeling, no strength, no ability to walk. Um, did not have the kind of telltale signs of tingling, uh, just straight to numbness as if you were, you know, your had feet and your legs had fallen asleep and you had no strength. But this was a very different type of feeling than that. Okay, so as it progressed, um, it went first from possible sciatica to partial paralysis. Correct, because I was unable, I was unable to get back on my feet and... and so what happened? Called 911, I uh, was taken to Overlook Hospital, uh, which is nearby in Summit, New Jersey, taken directly to uh, intensive care. And um, the fact that at that point it was bilateral, it was no ability to weight bear, um, tied into the history of uh, an intestinal infection within a couple of weeks or so, the diagnosis came pretty quickly and that interestingly enough because it was presenting bilateral weakness numbness inability to to walk uh, still remembering that i had in these early days um, in the, at least that saturday or sunday as i recall some movement in my toes that i can recall which was a i thought maybe a hopeful sign and didn't really didn't really mean very much as as the as time wore on um the diagnosis was pretty clear we did not have to go through um the spinal tap testing of the spinal fluid there may have been um nerve conduction tests but i that i don't really recall but it was pretty quickly determined that i had gbs and it was Classically, doesn't always go up to nose, but you know it's the, the term of art of toes to nose. It was progressing um, from 
my feet, my legs, upwards. Your thoughts as that started to take place? Um, and wanting it to stop, but I don't know what kind of intervention there could have been. If well, any. it was, I, I, it was a very, it was a strangely difficult and obviously upsetting period. Um, I had use of my hands and could utilize my phone um, to do some research and uh, did the most amount of in-depth research I could do on, on GBS um, lying in bed in ECU, ICU. And um, what I took away, and, and as you see on a lot of the, the websites that address GBS, that it is this progressive paralysis, which struck me as in some ways difficult to understand because while I understand that the, the body basically is no longer attacking the original infection, but attacking the myelin sheaths covering your nerves, that it disconnects and affects the uh, brain signals uh, to the rest of your body. The paralysis, I found it, this is not a spinal cord injury, so is it really going to be paralysis? So it, that quite didn't line up. I read it, but it said, well, that just didn't seem to connect. Uh, but I accepted that. The second thing is um, the encouraging aspect, and one of the important things that I took away from, from my little bit of research I could do at the same time I was preparing my family, coordinating with my partners at work, because I knew I was in for a very, very long haul. Uh, the thing I took away that was extremely encouraging at the time was that for many, we'll get into this, many if not most, that either full recovery or near full recovery is something that is a real promise of GBS. And so that's what I was laser-like focused on, that this was going to be um, this was going to be a challenge, probably the biggest challenge I had faced, but that um, there was hope. There was hope. Come full circle. Right. Within time. Exactly. And, and so that was probably the most important thing I took away from that weekend. Um, um, I've learned since that, you know, not everyone does recover, and it is a challenge, and percentages are um, not enormous, but not so low that I really just as well, I'm glad I didn't know more at the I'm time. I'm glad that was very selective reading. Selective reading, you have to go into some more detailed medical journals to get some of the more details. But that's what I was focused on. And then the other thing that was uh, uppermost that weekend was, and the reason patients who are showing signs of GBS have to be in um, ICU or in a medical setting is because the progression can affect respiratory capability. 70% of GBS cases do not affect ability to breathe. About 30% I've learned do. And so what they were closely monitoring was my oxygen level. 
uh, over the course of that weekend. And I, I ran across months later a text of, I think, because I think the, I was starting to lose capability to use my, my fingers. Um, someone texting a relative saying that my oxygen levels were holding, that hopefully I wouldn't have to be intubated on a, on a ventilator. But, by, uh, but that changed because by the Monday or Tuesday, it's hard to recollect, uh, the paralysis had, had spread quite rapidly. And uh, I remember I remember speaking to, uh, to my two sons and saying, uh, I'll see you on the other side, because it was becoming pretty clear that um, that was a real risk. And then, then sort of lights kind of went out, because um, my oxygen levels started to, to decline, and now we go into a period where I don't really have significant recollections because uh, I was sedated, intubated, and, and then the treatments began, which we can go into. Absolutely. So you left Overlook after how many days or weeks? Well, um, so as I said, I was admitted into Overlook on the 14th and after, of January, and after I was intubated or concurrently with uh, they started the, in succession, the two protocols, IVIG treatment, uh, which didn't seem to have significant effect. I have no recollection of that. And then they proceeded to um, do a plasma exchange, plasmapheresis treatment to replace the um, antibodies and to retard the, effectively, the, the, uh, damage my, my own immune system was doing to my nervous system. Uh, I, was in, I was in ICU for probably about four weeks. And then, um, and then kind of, I, I was told I was a, awake at various points, but I, have, I, I only have a little bit of recollection during that period until it kind of, I did wake up um, or was more sensate, and um, remembering I had this feeling that I had to go to the restroom and having no ability to move anything other than my head. And that I'm told, I was told later, right? I didn't move it that well. Um, and that was... I can be witness to that. It wasn't much. No, and that was probably... It's somewhere between the most extraordinary and most terrifying experience I can ever recall. Because it really, it, it was paralysis from my neck down. And I was unable to speak. I was on a ventilator. I had been intubated. I was at a gastrostomy for a feeding tube. Uh, the usual protocols of uh, replacing um, you know, ventilation through the nose or feeding through the nose because that can damage vocal cords. And it's so they had, they did tracheostomy and gastrostomy, and there I was. 
Do you remember your ride from Overlook to Kessler? Do you remember anything about that journey, knowing that you were on to the next phase? Yeah, I, well, there was, a, there, was, there was a fair amount of, when I went down to the step-down unit, there was a fair amount of, um, as I remember, some confusion. There was a whole question in terms of where I would go next, and there was some misinformation as to whether or not Kessler accepted patients on ventilators, and some period of time I was supposed to be going to a subacute facility, and that was just wrong information, and we got that clarified. And I, I was kind of in a holding pattern for about a week or so. Yeah, I know I remember the ambulance ride. I remember being outside for the first time in, in, in what was approximately... So it was January 14th to February 23rd. I remember, I remember being outside, obviously not moving, but there was a certain relief element to that. Um, and then I came to Kessler and I was, I was uh, um, admitted and the usual admissions protocol, which and I later, many months later, saw my intake photograph, which wasn't very pretty. <laughs> wasn't very pretty. That's something you would use uh, in a bio. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your experience or knowledge of Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation before your admittance? Well, um, I, I was aware of Kessler as, as one of the premier rehabilitation uh, facilities, um, aware of some notables who had come to Kessler. Um, uh, both of my sons um, had actually performed at Kessler. They were in, in high school. They performed uh, in their school orchestra, and they actually had, over the holiday period, I think once or twice had performed a concert at Kessler. They were, they're both clarinetists. And so I knew, I knew that much, had never been to Kessler, and... Um, I guess I knew it was challenging cases went to Kessler. Not something to aspire to, to make that trip up the hill, unless it was... No. I'd passed it many of times, coming across uh, Kessler and then Daughters of Israel right next to one another on the golf course, and, but I had never made, typically going that way, the left turn. There was no reason, and... I, I, quite honestly, was never anxious to, to make that turn. Absolutely not. So when I met you very early on, yeah. you had something that you wanted to do more than anything. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Um, um, my older son was graduating from college in um, that May, and... Uh, to anyone who would listen, and actually I couldn't really, just before I get to that, I mean, both in ICU and I think when I arrived at Kessler because I was on a ventilator, really, I, I couldn't speak. So that um, I could only communicate, my wife would, would do a game where she would go through the alphabet, A, B, C, D, and I would nod to the first letter and the second letter, and I wasn't always so quick, it was pretty frustrating, or... Um, in some ways the most difficult way of communicating and upsetting in some ways was 
having kind of a, a, a stick of some nature put in my mouth and pointing to a chart with letters. But somehow I communicated that whatever, whatever the deal was, it was I was getting out in time for my, uh, uh, my older son's graduation, which is in May. And so this was you know, late February, and I said, you know, by crane, parachute, whatever it takes, that was the goal. I wasn't going to miss that. I remember asking you, I said, who's your physical therapist? Do you remember her name? Um, I don't remember you asking me, but I, in, inpatient, it was Issa. Yes. Issa was the lead on PT, and Jen was the lead on OT. And what I said to you was, at that time, because you told me about, you were, I was able to hear very carefully, listen very carefully, that you wanted to make it to your son's graduation. I said, with that team, you have a very good shot. I don't remember that, but I appreciate that. I'm not exactly sure where I pulled that from because it was still a long way to go in yeah. a short period of time. Yep. It was a very long way to go. But I was looking at your determination, and from parent to parent, that can be extremely motivating. Yeah, no, they, uh, we'll, we'll get into that, but it was a great team, and I was, um, I don't think at the time, I appreciated, I, I, <laughs> I knew I had a challenge ahead of me. I don't think, and I was, I, I think I was almost a little too cavalier in saying, I will do this. I was single-mindedly determined to do it. Um, I don't think I really knew how difficult it was going to be. Yeah, you know, some degree of denial, some degree of some degree of just persistence. Because, quite honestly, um, kind of all the things I've ever done uh, in my life have been a function of commitment and dedication and working hard. And uh, interesting, the thing—it's so critical, I think in any of these situations. And again, as we'll come back to, you know, I was probably in, in a lot of ways one of the healthier people there. Mm. Healthier in the sense that I did not have a, a traumatic brain or spinal injury. Not that GBS is anything to diminish. As I've learned, uh, as I learned, it's an extraordinarily challenging circumstance. But the combination of saying that there is this pro prospect of recovery that, um, uh, you know, you work hard, determination, you know, this will not be the edge of the line. Absolutely. I don't know if you remember this, but I watched you at this point, moving forward, you were able to wheel yourself into the gym. Yeah. And I said to you, I'm guessing by looking at your determination, the speed at which you're traveling, and the journey you've had so far. This is harder than preparing for and taking the New York bar. And you laughed and you said, absolutely. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't so hard. <laughs> that wasn't so hard because you knew you had a, um, a history of doing well academically, yeah. you know, in undergraduate and graduate school at Yale. You knew you put in the work. You trust your instincts. You trust your natural abilities. You'll get there. It's just a matter of one step and another. This was different. Yeah, I, what, what is, 
I think very humbling about the experience is um, learning what is within your control and what's not. And it's a fine balance because I think um, I think it's in, in, in looking back, and I, I know there are people who respond to these circumstances wildly differently. It's, it's very easy in some ways to just say, well, I'll just let it take its course because it's just it's really hard. Um, on the other hand, you really, I think, have to be so incredibly determined and um, you know, suspend belief in some ways because no one knows, the, as one of my other doctors once said to me, he said, in these cases, no one really knows who's going to turn the corner. It's not, it's, it's part science, it's part art, and it's part the world of the unknown. And so, yeah, I think you apply what you've done in other circumstances here, even though it's not really in, in your control, but you'd have to almost kind of say, I'm going to make this or put this in my control. Absolutely. There's actually a theory in counseling called um, acting as if. Yeah. You are acting as if you will, you will get there. You will get to the graduation. You will get there off the ventilator, you'll get there on as much of your own steam as possible. So tell me about what that was like when you actually were looking at the discharge date and you knew this is going to happen. Well, before I get there, I will say one of the things that, and I don't know if this is helpful, but I think recovering from, from GBS is a... Um, and setting goals is really very important. So in this regard, that was, I mean, that's not the way I was expecting to come up to a great family celebration event. But having that as a, as a basically a target I just will not miss uh, was if I needed more motivation. And I, I, in some ways, I don't think I did because this was such a surprise. This was not... As I said to other people, this is not going to be the end of the line. But that was just doubling motivation. But what I found, um, and I'll come back to the PT and OT teams, which were just fabulous and, and supporting me, but it's, it's the big and small victories of recovery that are sustaining. I know that one of... One of the most important things was to get off the ventilator. And that I did about eight days after arriving in Kessler. And that was just the, the respiratory team, um, Dr. Green, the entire respiratory team were fabulous. They, they put me at ease. They said, you're not going to, we're not, we're, we're all here. We're not, you're not going to get in trouble. Just do whatever you can. Sometimes I think they didn't even tell me when I was off. Just let me breathe naturally to reduce the, um, the stress or anxiety level. And then when I was off the ventilator, because I know, for instance, my wife, that was a huge event as well. There's a big difference between being ventilated and not. That was a huge, huge, huge 
victory. And, and as you, know, you start moving a finger, you start lifting an arm, later on then I remember the, the um, in the meals, the, uh, um, the dinner roll would be in a plastic wrapper that I couldn't open, I couldn't open, and then one day I opened. The toothpaste, the little cap, couldn't open, couldn't open. The dependence element was very, very difficult to deal with for someone who was totally independent, really took care of others. Um, so all those little victories. Um, yeah, you can't you can't take anything for granted, and uh, I can visualize many of them. I can visualize even throughout many the course of, of the day. There, there'll possibly be a flashback. Oh yeah, no, I can, I can, I can. You know, I, I absolutely recall. I can't necessarily pin down the date, but where things I was unable to do, I was suddenly able to do, um, even though kind of on a macro basis, <laughs> there was a lot I couldn't do. These were just, this, these, these were, this was a big deal. Encouraging benchmarks. Encouraging benchmarks. My wife would go to work every day and then come to Kessler every night, and the, the goal was to show a new trick. Absolutely. It was like, you know, what did I learn to do today? And uh, it was great to have her there so that you could report these yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. With her. Absolutely. Because your boot camp, as I called it, took place all day. Yes. And so when she came, you were dismissed and I, able to show what you've done. Exactly. I'd, I'd work with Issa and Jen and the rest of the PT and OT teams, and, you know, I was trying to show off trying to show off my progress. It was a daily goal. Um, and I'll get to the, you know, two steps forward, one step back, or what have you. That's sort of the, one of the other, that's one of the other things that I think patients in the situation um, have to appreciate, that it's not linear. That's right. Tell more about that. Please. Well, I mean, that... Um, well, in my situation, because of uh, my immobility, particularly in ICU, um, not breathing on my own, it wasn't just GBS. Um, there were a series of complications, in of which, any one of which had challenges. Um, pneumonia, um, an open wound from just immobilization. The open wound team is pretty pretty dynamic and crazed in terms of treating that. They would just come in, yes. photograph, measure. I mean, and as I remember the open wound team would come in and everybody would just clear out of the way. They were in charge. Uh, uh, C. diff. Yes. I mean, and then, and then sort of after kind of getting past a number of them, a very serious viral infection with the high fever. So it was as if you're, you know, oh, and as well, because I, as I migrated from uh, 
the feeding tube. There was one formula that was in, um, at, in intensive care. There was a different formula over at Kessler. The transition from one to the other was didn't go well. Didn't go well. And then as once I started to uh, be weaned off the feeding tube and to take something approaching solids from remembering that the only thing it could have in intensive care was literally a cotton swab of water on my lips, stuff that comes back to you. Uh, it, 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 the, the period of time during the physical therapy and occupational therapy and then uh, learning to feed myself right, those had, in, in one path, that was sort of one path, and, but then there was dealing with all of these complications at the same time, and so nothing is simple. Yeah. Nothing is simple, and there are lots of opportunities where you can say, well, this is just not going to happen, but that's, that's where you really need your family as a, as a support system, and I have a extraordinary wife and, and two kids that and brother who were there as much as they humanly possibly could and I also you know I, I was gonna I was not going to give up absolutely not incredible team both you said clinically with family yeah friends you had the support of your um, managing partner at work who said to you don't worry about this. Right. As I said, do you need to make a phone call? You said, no. I was told, I've given so much for so many years. Now I give to myself. Yeah, no, the, the firm was they, they extraordinarily supportive. They said I had one job. It was to get better. Uh, I'd like to just go back, just, um, just rewind for a couple of seconds. Your son, I just know of this one in particular who was getting ready to graduate. He was still in school. That must have been difficult. Yeah, I mean, at the time, my older son was uh, a senior in college. My younger son was um, uh, a sophomore. And um, I, I, they're both extremely smart kids. They, they were doing their own research. Um, they even saw, you know, they were seeing what the percentage of recurrence of this is. I didn't really want to talk about that, but um, they had a they had a way of, of found a way of compartmentalizing and coping. They read they read a lot. They saw they they saw that the the um, that for really many, right, the prognosis can be a very good recovery and so I think that was sustaining for them and they had a way of compartmentalizing um, better than um, better than probably I would if I had been their age um, uh, it was hard it was hard but they they I, I tried to hold it together and for them and and they did the same for me I'm I'm you mirrored strength with each other. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think, you know, there wasn't any alternative, 
but not everybody is up to the task. They were. Uh, and I remember my younger son, because going through one of these you know, series of complications, saying, well, you know, particularly as the transition of feeding from feeding to, to solids and, and all the difficulties, saying, you know, well, that's just, that's not the, that's not the syndrome. That's just a part of it. You just have to get through that. That's not the real issue here. And saying, so kind of, you know, a little bit of tough love thrown in as well. <laughs> and, but that was right. I mean, you, it's, it was a phase you just have to get over. Would this son, by any chance, be pursuing something in the future with uh, medicine? Based on no, none of my kids are 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 on the medicine side. I okay. no, I don't think so. I, I my older son, uh, no, doesn't. I don't think likes to see the side of his own blood. On you know, so this is just situational. It's just situational. Smart kids and. Okay, so again, um, we were talking a little bit about, because when I saw your discharge date and you would make it to graduation, what was that trip like? That wasn't a typical trip to Connecticut. No, I mean, well, first of all, uh, we had a discharge date, and then I wasn't ready, and we extended it. And as it turned out, um, the discharge date was the Friday before the graduation um, the weekend of graduation, and um, there was a lot going into that because, in addition to working with Isa on um, the full range of physical therapy with Jen, there was a lot of work on transfer. Because then, where was I? I'd, I'd moved from the I I had progressed to the point of being in a wheelchair, some mobility but not much with a walker. Um, but the transfer was gonna be really transferring from a wheelchair into a vehicle and, and so forth. And uh, a lot of work, a lot of practice uh, to make that um, possible. It was, I don't think it's everybody's typical discharge to go from, from Kessler to a hotel somewhere for graduation weekend, and I managed to make it through all of the events. And um, I remember actually at, at one of the events, one of the outdoors events, it's starting to the rain, to, to rain, and and one of the folks who was in charge of assisting people with with disabilities said, because I, I, you know, I wasn't really prepared for all the different elements. I didn't what yeah, have you, he said, literally gave me the jacket off of his back and said, I don't need this, you, you, you should, because it was starting to rain. And so it was a pretty emotional experience. My, my older son was wound up, we didn't know, um, he had done extraordinarily well, but one of, won one of the top academic prizes announced at commencement, had the honor of carrying the, the college flag and the procession. It would have been, it would have been beyond horrible not to be there, and so it was. It was a great event. It was a great. It was a great weekend. And since your own graduation from dependence to much more independence, a reasonable level of yeah, a real a, a real a reasonable level, some degree of independence. Although, quite honestly. 
that was pretty limited yet because I wasn't walking. It was, I was in a wheelchair. Um, it was, I think, a pretty significant step, so to speak, under the circumstances and extraordinarily gratifying. Yeah. Then you started your outpatient journey. Yes. Uh, before I was discharged, um, I was discharged on a Friday. The prior day or two, um, I made arrangements to have my first outpatient physical therapy the, the Wednesday of the following week because I was getting back on Monday to my home for the first time since January 12th, you know, semi-re-outfitted with a hospital bed, and I was living downstairs and with a ramp to get in. I mean, it was that was in and of itself a whole um, whole episode. But Issa and Jen, as as the leads in in inpatient physical therapy, had kind of. Um, worked internally to, to line up the people they thought would be the right people to work with me on outpatient. And then I proceeded to starting that Wednesday. So it was discharge Friday, graduation events, sort of Saturday, Sunday, Monday, returned home Monday, spent a day at home Wednesday, back at, back at Kessler. And I was three days a week for many, many months uh, on outpatient uh, um, PT and OT with uh, Paulie and Christine and others. And resting in between. And trying to rest in between, yeah. How did that progress? So it was three days and then two days and then eventually you started adding time at work? Or how did that? Well, so I came back, uh, as I came back home, was that was sort of mid-May after... after um, uh, my older son's graduation, and it was it was three days a week of outpatient, and that continued for May, June, July, August, September, October, a three day week pattern. Um, I wasn't I wasn't working for much of that, but. Um, my I work live in New Jersey, but my office is in, in Manhattan, and so it's challenging to try to to commute. Just regular people find commuting challenging, um, but so I, I I wasn't ready for that. But in June there was a meeting at. Or, our firm of a topic that I had been very much involved in, and um, I wanted to get there, and and it was kind of a, as I say, game day decision. But it was a Thursday night meeting, and I arranged for transport in my wheelchair and got to this meeting on a Thursday night in June, and it was huge the reception was uh extraordinarily heartfelt and rewarding and being able to be back and for everyone to see me and and as someone said uh it was 
probably more important for everyone else to see me than for me to be back was, was very reassuring because I can, didn't quite look the part, but I, you know, I was kind of back. And so over the summer, working with uh, the outpatient team, slowly progressing from uh, building, I had, had, had utilized a walker um, inpatient, um, but that, that was slow. It was, it was, it was slow and in, in, in progress. But I built on that an outpatient from Walker to then two canes. And by August, um, came to the conclusion I could get to work um, uh, utilizing a Walker and, and then once inside, two canes. And so I started to return to work in late August on a on a limited basis of a few days here and there, and then just built on that. So that was about a seven month stretch? Yeah. So yeah, from sort of mid-January to late August. This was just before Labor Day, so I was starting to come back. I'd started doing some work remotely by phone and whatnot over the summer, but very, very limited, and then and then got back on a very limited basis in late August and then built that up. I mean, again, that was extraordinarily satisfying and, and the ability to take back each element of your life is, is really very critical. You had to, it's really important to normalize everything you can um, as quickly as you can, recognizing that, you know, you're not exactly in the same place you, you were, but... You're getting there. Yeah. Uh, as you were describing very early on how this was a slow process that was happening from that feeling of sciatica to that progression coming up, and now it's absolutely reversed in the slow progression of gaining all that was lost yes close to it yeah so and quite it's quite a journey it is it is and um it's measured it's it's strangely it's it's measured in it days but it's really measured in weeks and months because there are people who blog about this who write uh, on gbs it's get better slowly as the okay the initials for GBS, and that is a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that, but um, the other thing that I think is critical is that, and Isa and Jen and, and, and Paulie and Christine and others were really reinforced that you just can't, just, you just can't do it um, during inpatient or outpatient. You have to be home working, doing your exercises, trying to be as mobile as possible. And um, that's really important. I mean, I remember at home being in my wheelchair, moving around, but then freezing it, getting to the point that I could stand up, reach cabinets, open cabinets. I mean, all of those steps are really 
really very important, and that has that's continued. I mean, as you return to work, and then as you stay at work, it's the challenge of saying, you know, there's just so many hours in the day to do that, and then continue your home exercises because actually, just living is exercising. But you've got to keep doing that, and that's that's one of the challenges even now. It's to sustain that. I'm really it's easier for me to do that on weekends and during the week. It's a lot to do between work and commuting and exercising. It's kind of hard during the week. The weekends are easier. I imagine by the end of the day, you're fairly tired. Um, yeah, generally. I, I mean, it's very interesting. We're now in um, what I think, from what I read and, and understand, it's the it's the residual phases, mm-hmm. and people with GBS. Um, some people really, really recover uh, remarkably quickly and remarkably well. The more severe cases take longer, and, and residuals are a full range. I mean, from people having challenges walking to per, uh, uh, neuropathy and the tingling, and uh, I don't know if we necessarily have to go into all that we're still dealing with, but you probably, I mean, Sitting here with me, you probably wouldn't even know Absolutely. that I either went through anything or continue to deal with some things now. And that's, I actually, that's pretty good. It's very good. Like but, I said, for the first time I, when I first met you, to seeing you waltz in here with no assistance, just something you might need possibly have with you here as a, as a cane. But uh, Yeah, no, I use that more for... Pre- kind of protection when I'm commuting but I've now I when I'm walking at home in the office at the mall I, I'm the idea is to challenge yourself at all times right what would you say for anyone listening to this who has still um, so far to go with their own situation with with GBS um, or someone very close to them what's a the primary takeaway that you could give them as far as like someone who had been like you fully engaged in life engaged in their work or their career or their family what could you what would you like to give them to hold on to that you've learned I, I, I think two or three things that are most important is one never give up um, never give up uh, there's no benefit one to doing that and two by establishing a strong sense of determination, you are already starting to take back your life. So strength in mentally and to the extent you can physically, I think, is, is really, really important because um, I haven't, I, I quite honestly haven't read all the studies and tried to immerse myself in anything. I'm trying to live my life. So I don't know exactly how the, what everything shows, but there's an old line that, you know, it can't hurt. And if you are determined, it can only help. It certainly can't hurt. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, number one. I think um, it's important to look back, not with any sense of regret, because you can't really figure, I mean, GBS is an extremely unusual 
syndrome. It's provoked by the strangest of things, and I don't think the research physicians and researchers know exactly why. It's very odd, intestinal infections. I don't want to go into all of them because I don't give medical advice. I'm not a doctor, but you can't look back and and really say why or why me. Um, or if only. Or if only, because you really don't know. I mean, in my case, you know, the, the intestinal infection I had on this trip maybe have happened somewhere else or just anywhere, and would that have triggered the same thing? So you can't go back and 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 ask yourself, what if or, or why me? Uh, I, as I've said, you look back only to marvel as to how far you've come. And so I think if you look forward with determination and look back with saying, wow, I've really achieved a lot, um, those are two of the most important ingredients. And then I think last is, um, like a lot of things in life, no one really knows ultimate end games or what is tomorrow. And um, in some ways, the hardest thing, I think, is to just manage frustration with you set a goal and it's you should act as if it's in your control, and so you should be steadfastly determined to get there, but at the same time, the other side of your brain recognizes, well, it's not really in your control, so you, there's a limit to how hard you can be on yourself. Like yeah, and I remember right in the middle of inpatient where I remember I was working Kind of in one in one session on sit to stand uh, exercise, and we did that in the morning with PT, and then in the afternoon I remember I'd worked so hard, and I was having an OT session with with Jen, and I said I just, I, I just have nothing, and you gave it all earlier. I gave it all earlier, and and then I also realized that. Unlike other things you do in life, there'll be times that you can work so hard, and you and you really do need to work hard. But simply working hard in and of itself, you can't you can't triumph over time. And there's a temporal element to recovery, and that's actually something that's also important to grapple with. That. You should act as if it's in your control, recognizing it's not, and understanding that at a certain point, if you're not always progressing, not, notwithstanding how incredibly hard you may be working, don't be hard on yourself because there's a time element for healing and you can't, you can't advance time. You can't push beyond that. No. Sounds like that may have this last point that you made, this third one, um, is almost like a personal revelation for you, um, as far as like something for the first time, like we said before, your life has been fairly predictable, work hard, attain, work hard, attain, this, this third element, yeah, it was very, the greatest challenge you've ever, it was actually a pretty tough thing to face, yes. and it was about, I remember it was sort of midway through 
my inpatient period and it did, did kind of just hit me that <laughs> yeah it's you can act like it's in your control but it's really not and that element of acceptance of that fact without it leading to some degree of resignation that's a very fine line and it took me a little while to comprehend that i mean i i'd like to think i'm a quick learner but that's when it's when you're kind of when you're the patient and you've got to kind of also notwithstanding all the you know tremendous resources and help you're getting you kind of have to be your own counselor in a way and it's hard to recognize hard to hard to accept and you kind of have to almost rebound from that and say okay I, I get it and there is this fine line but all right let's just pick back up the pace and like I said you can't you can't um, you can't triumph over the time element that's needed for healing right now how does that translate at work how do you see your work now different than before do you approach it any differently do you see problems as maybe less challenging as they were beforehand because you've been through so much or is there any crossover um well i think there is um i I won't say a newfound sense of perspective but there's certainly an added dimension of perspective I don't think I'm dramatically a different lawyer than I was. Um, um, I think to some degree, being a lawyer is a a unique combination of being able to be able to see both the big picture but be very detail-oriented. I think it's easy after this kind of experience to maybe give up on one but not the other but I, that hasn't been the case i mean i think i'm i'm i approach things very similar to i the way i did before um but you get an added perspective of how how things fit into the bigger picture um i i, I don't think i'm dramatically different in that way in terms of how i go about practice uh, and even if I were, I wouldn't recommend going through this experience to gain that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do want to thank you so much for sharing your story, uh, your journey of recovery from life before, life through, and life right now as you're experiencing it. I'm happy with to whole, do so. It's with your a, whole heart, it's been, mind, and soul. It's been a um, unique experience. Um, and... I will say, um, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a, a lot about um, the depth of your own resources and abilities. And anyone going through something like this, um, they should never shortchange themselves as to what they're capable of. Be prepared to be surprised and 
don't feel bad about feeling bad. Right. This is tough. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it, but take enormous satisfaction and pride in, as I said, the small little victories you accomplish. Uh, may not happen every day. It may be only a couple of things a week or maybe a week will pass and you'll say, well, it's just not that much different. Patience is a virtue um, and determination is a goal in and of itself. Absolutely. And I saw that from the first moment I met you. I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to, um, to speak with you those few times that we were able to connect in the hospital and to connect with you as an outpatient as well and to watch your progress as you made this incredible pathway back to work and to life yeah, and to well, community. And I will say um, I am enormously indebted to the incredible help, resources, and support I received at Kessler. They appreciated you too. Well, it's Very mutual. Much. It's mutual. To learn more about our research, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.